Welcome to a new episode of the Mark Groves podcast. I am am I over I'm overly excited. I'm overly excited. I'm normally excited, but I'm actually over overtly oh. excited. Oh yeah, overtly and overly. Yeah, I'm both of those. I added a T in without the T. I'm feeling or, it. Yeah, you can feel it. I feel it, man. I even appreciate how you 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 we're wearing the same hat. No one can see that. But yeah, but just take our word for it, right? Um, the the voice you hear is none other than Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y. I Thank you. That's that right? I know. Yes. Um, I've had the pleasure of being on Brian's podcast uh, one time and then two times. That's right. They're not public yet. By the time this comes out, they might be. Won't have been. I don't think. But either way, maybe once. But yeah. I mean, Brian, I've known you for about what seven years, and in that time, uh, I mean, I've read a lot of your work. Brian's a an amazing writer. I've seen you speak you. a couple of times. You're an amazing speaker too. Thank you. I think you're just really great at articulating and taking emotional concepts and simplifying them or at least making them consumable. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know what uh, job you, description you have. You know, you know what I realized what, what it is. I'm good at making maps, drawing maps. I'm a map maker, you know, drawing a map of human dynamics, relationship dynamics, or, or taking what other people are, are trying to articulate and, and translate, translating that into a map that we can then find ourselves and say, oh, okay, I'm here. And if I want to get there, if, if you want to get to New York and you don't know where you're standing right now, you have no idea which direction to point yourself in. <laughs> That's absolutely true, especially if the maps you were given previously are for Chicago, <laughs> you know, right. which I think is a lot to do with relational maps. You know, we observe yeah. our parents or whoever is in relationship, and that's how we're supposed to navigate. I like that analogy or metaphor. It makes it very easy to understand. So you work with single people and couples. I do. Yeah. Yep. yep. Single people, couples, men, women, same sex, couples. The whole shebang. Yeah. And the, the, your story is so interesting because when you were earlier in your younger world, I'm, I'm not sure that that would have ever been where someone saw your, your future. So like walk us through, you're from, I'm from the East coast of the United States. I live in uh, Los Angeles, but uh, you know, I, I'm not, what's that? Is that East coast represent? I do. Yeah, I do. And, and I, I, I love being from the East coast and I love living in on the West Coast. Being from the East Coast was very grounding. It's a very grounding place to be born and grow up. Grounding just, you know, we're, we're salt of the earth kind of people. We uh, just come into the world and we're programmed to just do our work, take our place in society and have a family, just kind of all that stuff. And um, <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad I had that kind of rooting, but I also had that that seed of crazy, that seed, that seeker seed that there's no way I can stay in this. I have to go and I have to leave the, the castle walls and, and venture into the world and find out what the hell's out there. Was that celebrated in your East Coast grounded, you know, storybook experience? No, not, no. not only was it not celebrated, it wasn't even acknowledged as a possibility. I didn't even know that that was a possibility until... I had dated uh, a woman when I was in the military. So I was in the, the Air Force and I had a girlfriend who she had spent a year teaching English in Japan. Now, mind you, everyone listening, this is way before the internet was really a thing. 
you know, we barely had email. We have like people on here that are be that are actually not from before the internet either. Yeah. So, you know, I get it. <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like. You and I have yeah. talked before about how you like, if you want to date a girl back in the day and you yeah. could talk to five at the same time, you had to drive to their house. If you yeah. called their house, their dad answered. That's right. Are you yeah. kidding? These kids these days, they don't know fucking, they don't know work. Oh my Lord. Yeah. You yeah. had to actually gin up some courage to ask a girl out back in the day. And, 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 and if she said, no, there wasn't like, there was just one right next to her that you could then, you know, swipe, right. No, 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 no. That was like it for months. Yeah. Right. And if, and even if we went before our time, you couldn't be a player. You had to get on a horse and go to people's houses. At least we had a car, but you know, you're right. Like this is, so before internet, you have a girl who's in Japan she was, she was, she had taught English in Japan for a year and she was from Canada. Interestingly enough, you Ooh. crazy Canadians you like that you out of the box thinking Canadians. And, um, yeah, that sort of planted the seed in me that, well, you can do something like that. Like you can actually travel outside of your sort of home zone and have adventure. And, oh, that's so interesting. And, um, that was really the the first seed that was planted. And I was in my early twenties by this time. So I'd gone to college, you know, four year, four and a half year degree engineering, uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. So look, I was very programmed to be analytical to in the engineering mind, you know, Air Force, military, sort of hyper masculine way of being and thinking and experiencing the world, totally disconnected from my emotions and not really able to feel living in my head. And uh, yeah. So there was no relationship coach on my horizon. That's for Yeah. Well, and then to go from like, where, how do you get from that from like air force captain? Right. So yeah. Yeah. And in Canada, I mean, I don't know. We have an army and no disrespect if you're in the Canadian army, but I don't know a lot about you. Um, we sort of subcontract a lot of our military, uh, I think, to the U.S., yeah. um, which would make logical sense. Wise um, choice. Yeah. So I wasn't surrounded by people, you know, in the military, really. I had a mm-hmm. couple of friends who, when I was older, had been in the military. There's not a lot of exposure. But then now knowing so many Americans, it seems to be just commonplace. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's just, a, I mean, it's different. And that's good. That's OK. Yeah. So, so. You ask, how did I go from that to, yeah. well, um, it was and a why? long, very long circuitous route. That's a good word. Circuitous. I like that word. I was very, yeah, very going to have to Google that, but, yeah. but it basically consisted of a series of women kicking my ass in various ways. Um, mostly unskillful, but it, it, you know, as I said, I got out of the military at 26 years old. I was completely disconnected from my feelings. Uh, I was probably a functioning depressive person, if that's a thing. Um, I just couldn't feel anything. I, I, I couldn't feel joy. I couldn't feel sadness either. Um, and I'm prob- probably people out there listening, you, uh, depending, well, you either know someone or maybe you are that someone or you're partnered with someone like that who's really kind of emotionally checked out. And um, well, that was me to, to just an intense degree and, you know, try to do relationship in that place. Well, yeah, you don't really do. You just be in one. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You're, you're, you might be in a relationship conceptually, but kind of emotionally 
And that's where connection happens in relationship is through emotional connection, emotional uh, kind of shared emotional experiences. And, and um, you know, I couldn't connect in that way at all. I couldn't even feel my own emotions. How am I going to connect with my partner's emotions? Yeah. So, you know, I tried that for a good 10 years. And, you know, also interestingly, when I was in the military, I uh, got a master's degree. The, the military paid for my education a lot. So I got a master's degree in human relations from the University of Oklahoma because I thought, look, engineering, honestly, I d- it didn't excite me. kind of sucked. I'm going to study something that I'm actually interested in. Let me study human behavior. And human relations was a degree option uh, at the University of Oklahoma. So I studied it. And man, I was so fascinated. But again, I'm still studying. You know, one of the courses was human emotions. Huh. I hardly had them, but I was studying them. It's kind of interesting too, uh, like the paradox of an academic education on emotion, right? Like (laughs) conceptualization of emotion, right? Like as opposed, I'm guessing the course wasn't necessarily experiential where they would, you know, teach you how to teach it, right? Like where you would actually um, be exposed to videos about emotion or videos that evoke emotion. That's actually very interesting. The paradox of that is that you can intellectually further understand a way of of what it would look like versus um, still not embodying. Still not knowing from a direct experience, just knowing from a distance. But you knew you were onto something that that like you were starting to nerd out, like you were real. That's cool. I had found the subject that lit me up, which was human behavior, human dynamics, human experience. And which makes sense because I was so checked out from actually having it. Of course, I'd want to study it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's, uh, I say often that my work came from seeking to fix myself, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then inevitably we end up down a path where we just mm-hmm. want to teach former versions of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, it's interesting when I get to work with men who are particularly men, although some women too, but when I get to work with men and then occasionally I'll get an actual engineer uh, <laughs> yeah. to work with. And usually in, in a heterosexual relationship, that man or that man's partner is so angry, is so frustrated. And that, you know, for many years as I was trying to do relationship, I always, it always, it always just astonished me. Why are the women I'm partnered with, why do they always end up so angry at me? <laughs> what is that about? What is going on? I'm, not, right? I'm not cheating. I'm not, you know, I'm not abusing them and certainly not in any way that I recognized as, as abuse. Well, what the hell's going on here? Why are they so angry all the time? And what I would discover was, you know, I, I, I function, I don't believe in the 50-50 model of relationship. I believe in the 100-100 model of relationship. Each partner, we both have 100% responsibility for what we're creating together. And what I realized, you know, and I can look back and man, my heart breaks when I think of certain moments with, you know, past partners where I can still see, you know, a few moments in particular where I still see a woman's face in so much pain. It's in a lot of times it would come out as anger, but underneath that anger was just utter heartbreak and feeling alone and abandoned and, and me and my analytical righteousness, just convinced of the, of the, of the accuracy of my position 
and completely unable to bridge into her experience. And it just, it, it still hurts to this day when I look back and see that, that young man who had no fucking idea what he was doing, even though he was so sure he knew exactly what he was doing. Mm, I have, um, I love that because as you said that, I can think of all the faces that have been made to mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. where I was more interested in being right than staying connected. And yeah. I didn't know how to, uh, I was so afraid of the emotional part that I wanted to stay in the head, you know, where I could make totally. sense of everything. I could be right. Mm-hmm. I was a salesman. I could be right most of the time, even though I probably wasn't most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how so the anger coming from what then? You mean in my partners? Yeah. What did you, like when you look well, back now with the knowledge that you have, well, you, you know, because there's probably people listening going like, you yeah, know, I'm fucking angry. Well, you know, one thing that I, I, I got clear about and in, in not, you know, in just the last few years is that I have, I you know, good parents, four of them actually divorced when I was four and they're all good people. Um, each had their own stuff and, but generally speaking, I had a pretty good childhood, but no one ever comforted me. Nobody ever emotionally comforted me, checked in on how I was doing emotionally, helped me express my emotions, let me know that whatever I'm feeling is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have really zero memory of that. If it happened, it happened once or twice or a few times. But So I grew up, and I think a lot of us who had otherwise good childhoods, grew up kind of neglected in a sense, not really heard by our, our even well-meaning parents, especially if they were busy, had jobs, um, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to fault to our survive. parents. Yeah, yeah. Trying to survive. I realized because I didn't receive comfort, I wasn't able to offer comfort either to my, to the, in my case, the women that I would partner with, I comfort, what's that? And comfort is one of the most fundamental human needs that we have. I mean, it's a, fucked up world, man. There's a, everything's out to get us in a sense. I mean, I believe in a friendly universe. That's my spiritual perspective. But the truth is also, man, on the, I'm 44. When I turned 40, I, was, I couldn't believe how long I'd survived. Like there's things trying to take us out constantly, you know, <laughs> parasites, buses, uh, forest fires. <laughs> I mean, it's just endless assault. Uh, and then, and then just even in relationship, there's constant threats to connection these days, social media. I mean, God, just the, there's a parade of potential threats on social media to your relationship, at least perceived threats in terms of, you know, and, and maybe in our, our case, you know, like on Instagram, I mean, there's an endless parade of, of, of influencer models that will just show you their body constantly. And, you know, I don't follow that. I don't, yeah. because that's a potential threat to my relationship. Well, it's just not, um, is it contributing to a, a connective relationship? Like whenever I find out that like some guy in a relationship or, or girl, it just more happens to be men is following a bunch of models or porn stars or something. I'm just yeah. like, where's the benefit? Now, granted, I the Instagram didn't exist when I was 22. So that's real easy for me to say, because right. I probably would have been following them then, especially given the faces of the exes that I have that flashed through my mind. <laughs> that's right. Talking, I probably, you know, I, I, I'd, the be, deal? It's the I'd be of the human form. I mean, all that. Totally. I'd be the pot calling the kettle black, but I'm just saying like now, based on what we, we have, we have the gift of experience without the internet. You know? Yeah. And that's yeah. a different thing. 
And, and so my, my partners, because of that righteousness, like even that, you know, whatever the version was back then of what, it's just a female form. It's not a threat to our relationship. Why are you so upset? You know, it's just, I appreciate beauty. Accept me for who I am. Blah, you know, oh God. Accept me for who I am, right? <laughs> even though like what you're doing is actually not contributing to the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I remember a girlfriend saying to me, you just flirt. That's just like your default. I feel like you just, the way you speak is flirty. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I just don't get upset about it because that's just who you are. And I was like, yeah, that is who I, you know, but no accountability. No, I really wish she had held my ass to the fire a little more because mm -hmm. I think that was just my way of checking out. Yeah. So that's why so many of my partners were angry is because I, I had no concept about how to comfort somebody. Yeah. And when we're not comforted, we kind of go two ways with that. We either get louder and more angry because you just think of it, we're, we're just signaling to each other. You know, a child signals to their parents that they need something, you know, uh, uh, they need to be burped, you know, need to be tended to, need to be held. I mean, babies, children, we're constantly signaling to our parents. And if our parents don't respond or they make us, they, uh, they respond in ways that are, that are damaging, traumatizing. Um, and I don't just mean physically abusive, but, but shaming for our signaling. We kind of, again, we go one of two ways. We either signal louder and act out, or we shut down and we stop signaling altogether. And we kind of implode inwards. We take it out internally, right? And I was more of the internal imploder than the external uh, actor outer. And so, but, and naturally I would attract women who were the opposite, who were the <laughs> external, okay, you're not picking up my signal. I'm going to signal louder. And of course you're shutting down. It's just, and more I'm exciting, shutting down. More exactly. Yeah. So it just was a nasty, nasty cycle. And of course it's so easy for me to sit there and go, gosh, they're crazy. They're acting out, you know, she's, oh, she's, look at, look at her acting crazy like that. Why can't she figure this out for herself and take care of herself? And again, that righteous, self-righteous kind of, look, I'm not causing anyone harm or any difficulty. I'm, I'm a good boy. I have good intentions and she can't see that. And she's going to get angry and louder and louder and louder. Well, I don't, you know, who needs her? Yeah. And totally missing, completely missing that, you know, my role in her, in her being comforted, not, which is different from doing what she says I should do, which is different from, you know, just following her direction, but rather just being present with what's happening for her, you know, with what's, with what's in her own heart, with what's hurting her. I mean, we're all bringing our own wounds into relationship, right? But we fight over the like, you know, the photo I liked on, on Instagram, for example, instead of, you know, dad cheated on mom with other women and you liking a photo on Instagram just reminds me of that. That's all. Yeah. Right. We but get lost in the content. We I mean. get lost in the, exactly. I call it the level of the complaint. Mm -hmm. We, we fight at the level of complaint. So how do you suggest people get, and I want to get back to your story too, but how do you suggest people get from the complaint to the, the cause, the source, the wound, the trigger? Yeah. Well, uh, I suggest working with someone first off, yeah. uh, coach, therapist, definitely getting support because, you know, we generally can't find that ourselves. 
because we're so triggered, we're so reactive. Our, that's what triggers are, the reactions. And it really helps to have someone point out what's really going on versus what you think is going on. Such a gift, you know, to be able to, and often our partners can spot that thing, but we're also so reactive to their spotting of things that. Oh yeah. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Right. Don't like, tell me that this is. And it's yeah, like, don't, you're defensive. <laughs> you know? uh, exactly. Don't tell me this is about my mother. Don't talk, don't bring my mom into this. You remind me of my mom right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the, tr- the reality is that that's probably true, but I don't want to, I don't want you to point it out. Yeah, you know? exactly. That feels very mothery. Um, so, so yeah. getting down to it, yeah, you know, cause of course I, I find that behind any sort of like frustration complaint is always an unmet emotional need, but then that tends to circle back to a need that was not met as a child, as you were saying that we can't, um, it's hard to find when our story is often either my childhood was so fucked up or my childhood was good. And we have a hard time humanizing our parents we want to we don't want to take them off the pedestal because then they might be flawed they might be you know i know a lot of men that i've worked with and women but men specifically who hold their fathers in high regard Mm -hmm. even though their fathers actually weren't that present their fathers Mm -hmm. were good patriarchal dads like they worked hard they did the thing they provided they emotionally sometimes you know connected Yeah. But that they have a hard time humanizing. Like, I think it's so powerful to take your parents and see them as the children of parents. Because then it, yeah. all of a sudden you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're allowed to have some fucked up stuff happen to you, yeah. too, which is different. Well, you know, I was working with a man whose father died when he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And he had a good relationship with his father before he died and died suddenly. And he he doesn't really you know, a lot of our work is helping him have permission to be angry that that happened. Because mm. a lot of times, like you just said, it's easy to say, well, look, dad didn't beat me. Dad, he did what dads are supposed to do. And and uh, he was a good man. Yeah, sure. You know, he was gone all the time traveling for work or, but, you know, I mean, he was a good guy and I love him. And well, that's great. And as children, we need that presence, that, 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 you know, our father or who or father energy is sort of our, it's like our first experience of God in a way, the masculine God. And if that energy isn't fully engaged with us, we grow up with a gaping hole in our, in our kind of energetic, in our being that hurts and it matters. It matters. And we can forgive our fathers we, or, or even if we don't think we need to forgive them, we can still be angry just feeling, we don't have to be angry at something, but we can allow ourselves, it's fucking injustice to be human. Just being human, there's so, injustices all over the place, man. You know, my parents divorced when I was four. Best thing that ever happened in my life. And also still just indisputably a tragedy for a four-year-old kid. I'm so yeah. glad my parents did not stay together. I would be a neurotic mess had those two people stayed in partnership with each other. <laughs> Much more so than I already am. But yet there's a sadness that I live with just the same. There's an anger. My father didn't really have a choice. He had to go. He had to leave. It just, it just wasn't right for him to stay. And yet I, I was actually, this, and this actually came through doing some men's work maybe five years ago. I was so shocked how angry I was that my dad left me when I was four. 
Mm. Even though he didn't really leave me, but yet I still ended up growing up largely without his physical presence. And, you know, it's very paradoxical. I can still like what I've had to learn is how do I love him, honor him, know that he did the best. And, and I've seen him cry over, over his choices and over what happened. And, and I can still be fucking furious that that four-year-old kid and then that eight-year-old kid and that 12-year-old kid and then that 15-year-old kid and that 20-year-old kid and the 30-year-old kid had to essentially go through life without dad really helping him figure shit out. That's infuriating. That feels like a great injustice. Especially when all the movies you see and the like stories that you see are about dad and son working on the car, dad coaching the football team, dad, you know, and the, the movies that always get me are the, are the ones where father, son have a uh, reconciliation of some sort that wow. kills me every time. And my, my dad's alive. He's a good man. I love him. We've, we've actually done a lot of healing in the last mm, couple of years, but he's still not a man that's very engaged in my life. He's not a man that I go to for wisdom or for support and direction and helping. And I think a lot of us don't really trust our fathers in, in that regard. Even they're good men, but we don't really deeply trust them to help us find our way. Yeah. I was thinking about when you were saying about having, um, <clears throat> that we should have a, well, maybe we should have a support group for angry ex-girlfriends who couldn't feel us back then, you know, but I think it's a, I was thinking like, we don't feel them. And in, in like our, our fathers, I, I'm blessed. My father, I did feel quite a bit, like he was the one who connected with us about our mm -hmm. feelings and our thoughts mm -hmm. and what we're going through. But in a lot of ways, I don't think that we can feel that generation of men because they were so uh, castrated and severed from their feelings. And then, you know, when our partners get angry with us, cause we are so numb. Yeah. There's so much numbness that it's like, give me something like wake up, just fucking show me an emotion. And yeah. men are socialized to show lust and anger. Yeah. And so we don't, I don't, I don't know that we really, we have to develop the linguistics, the ability to embody, like, what does this feeling mean? And what would the word be that's attached to this feeling? Intrigued how you go from like army captain to human <laughs> relationship and human dynamics to facing those experiences with partners to being someone who is really exceptional at expressing what you're feeling now. And, and I mean, your writing is, is obviously very popular for a reason. So yeah. Thank you, you. How do you make that leap? Like where's the space yeah. that we still don't know about what, what yeah. well, uh, so after the military, I just, again, on a search to find my heart, I would have never languished it that way at the time, but I was just you know, finding my experience of being alive. Where is it? Is it in uh, Europe? I don't know. Let me go check it out. Nope. It's not there. Is it in uh, Egypt? Let me go check that out. Nope. It ain't there. Is it in Australia and Outback? Hmm. Nope. Don't feel anything here either. Okay. I guess I'll go back to the States and I'll go work for my dad, uh, which was a mostly terrible experience, at least the working with him part, everything else was pretty great, you know, helped him build a really big, big company uh, in a few years, but that destroyed our relationship at the same time. Um, oh, really? Oh yeah. 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 They, they were, they were 
let's see, I went to Miami after I was traveling around the world for a few years and, and uh, they were launching a fashion watch company that had a mind body science component to it. And, and uh, it became one of Oprah's favorite things twice. Yeah, it was, uh, wow. I was actually on the Oprah show to talking about that, that, or her after the show episode, she invited us on and, uh, she needs to get you on there now. What the fuck you get? On? I know. Come on, oh, Oprah. Got to get on there for that heart. Now you I were thought, I thought we were tight. I thought we had something. I felt the spark Oprah. I know you did too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was a pretty remarkable adventure. Um, over the next five years, it grew to be a $50 million company. Wow. And, um, yeah. And, uh, but it really destroyed my relationship with my dad. So, he went to Haiti to uh, work on the reconstruction after the earthquake. And I ran off with a band and managed a music band for a couple of years and wound up in California. And, you know, I figured it's a good thing he went to Haiti because the United States wasn't big enough for the both of us. <laughs> was my attitude. And, um, you know, also during that time, though, I had some really interesting experiences that showed me everything I'm rejecting in my father is me. It's in me too. And that was really hard to hear, hard to, hard to accept. Like what? Well, you know, you, you've heard of this uh, mirror concept. You know, the world is your mirror. Okay, great. Um, what does that mean? Well, I puzzled with that for a while. And uh, I remember sitting with a friend once at lunch, a friend from Trinidad. Uh, it was in Miami. And he said, um, you know, we were talking about this mirror concept. The world is your mirror. What you see out there is what you carry inside. Okay. Well, I, all right. Well, and he said, you know, I saw something this morning on TV that uh, a man in Trinidad, he, uh, he essentially, he, he, he raped and then murdered a child and I'm furious and the world is my mirror. That means that I would do that kind of violence. No fucking way. I don't accept it. Yeah. The world is your mirror thing is bullshit. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a pretty good argument against the world is my mirror. So I took it home with me and just sort of sat with it that night. And then, bam, it clicked. Yeah, maybe my friend wouldn't, and hopefully he wouldn't, rape and murder a child. But you know what he would do? He would do violence to that violence. In the face of that violence, it brought up the violence in him. Mm. In the same way that in the face of my dad's arrogance, my own arrogance reared its ugly head. In the face of my dad's judgment, oh boy, was I judgy towards him. In the face of his condescension towards people, oh, you better believe I was condescending towards that motherfucker. You know? <laughs> so it's like it all came alive for me that maybe it wasn't, it wasn't that I'm exactly like my dad in the way that all condescension, arrogance, judgment manifests itself in kind of externally, but boy, you better believe it's like only arrogance can have a problem with someone else's arrogance. Mm. Only my judgment can judge someone else's judging. Yeah. The, the inherent um, irony of all of it, right? At least it wasn't lost on you, you know, cause I had the same argument with myself, like, well, I wouldn't do those things. I'm not yeah. that. But then I, I totally hear you. Judgment is only home to judgment. Yeah. It was like only ego has a problem with ego. That's actually a song that that band that I managed, the, uh, it's called, uh, Oh, I can't remember. I guess it's called just ego. So the band called here to here, but they have a song. Only, only ego has a problem with ego. And that was a huge epiphany for me. And it, it began to 
kind of reorient my mind towards my relationships. Cause I was in a relationship with a woman who yeah, interestingly was a lot like my dad in her arrogance and condescension and judgmentalness. <laughs> oh, relationships. Aren't they yeah. beautiful? Yeah. And so, well, I had to start and then it took a lot longer. Um, it wasn't really till years after that relationship ended that I saw so much that I had overlooked. Um, you know, I, I used to, sort of think that relationship five years was like just a, a pile of crap. And man, it was a, it was really a mountain of gold that I still to this day am mining for wisdom and insight and, you know, and, 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 and my own heart, because I'm glad that I can look back and feel sadness at what I went through and what I perpetrated in my righteousness, that I can feel sad and have compassion for the old me and the, and the woman that I can see sitting in front of me crying out for comfort and doing it in a very unskillful way. But it's really nice to know that I can feel so much for both of those people because that serves my relationship today. That serves my life today. And so much of my work is really helping people get past the wounds and the stories. That's, you know, the level of the complaint to get underneath all of that, to comfort each other in ways that also, you know, we don't lose ourselves. Cause I think that's the big fear. If I comfort you, I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to abandon my, I have to abandon my truth. I mean, we don't consciously think that, but that's certainly as a man, you know, get that question a lot, you know, validating my woman means agreeing with her. No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't. But we don't get that. We don't see the difference between validating and agreeing with. So just for the um, clarification on that. So if let's say, for example, our partner says something that is their experience of something, right? Mm -hmm. And as a, we might disagree with their experience or disagree with how they interpreted our words or whatever it is. Or often will. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah, of course. And you're saying that we can still validate their experience without actually agreeing with the experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very advanced level of relational jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah <laughs> where you can separate yourself uh -huh. from your partner. Yep. Their experience is different than your experience. Which is really unfolding codependency, un, yeah. unfolding enmeshment, unfolding. It's like separating that relationship. So many relationships get healed in that move right there. The oh my god, relational jujitsu. I love that. It is. It, this is one of the most important things that we men, especially women too, absolutely, but that we men can learn. It is one of the most foundational and fundamental and essential. And all kinds of other adverbs and adjectives, uh, <laughs> practices that we men can, it changes everything. When we can learn to be with our partner's experience without making a meaning of it that doesn't allow us to exist ourselves. In other words, that was a very complicated way of saying something, probably really simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, validating, saying, um, I really hear you. I really get that that was difficult for you. I really get that this sucks for you. You know, sometimes when I'm, when I start working with a couple and they have a history of 
betrayal or, or, and most couples do by the time you get into, if you haven't been getting support for an, a, a, an amount of time, you, even if no one's ever cheated in any capacity, there's a history of betrayal of unrepaired arguments and disagreements. Yeah. So a lot of times the, the initial work is just teaching partners how to do exactly that, validate what the other person has been through and just be with that. Never mind your story for a minute. Just being with your partner and really empathizing and just and in just the, just these words. I really get that that was hard for you. I really understand that that was shitty for you. I really understand how much that hurt you. Period. What we usually do is then we go, but you know, I this <laughs> and no, yeah, shut up, me. stop, <laughs> stop. Like just stop. Stay in the. I get how shitty that was for you. Stop there and just be with that. That's massive. Yeah, I think for us um, as men and women, you know, of course, I think because there, there will be whoever takes on that role, really, you know, not even in a heteronormative sense, but just in mm-hmm. any relationship, anyone takes on that role of wanting to protect and defend and getting that real defensiveness. Uh-huh. I consider myself a uh, defender, a, a recovering defender. Uh-huh. And in that, it was like, I remember the healing of defensiveness is to say, I can see some truth in that as a reply. And I remember the first time I said that I felt like I was eating my fucking shoe. Uh. Like, <laughs> I remember, like, you're defensive right now. And I was like, oh, I can see some truth in that. <laughs> but it was because I had placed my self-worth yeah. in their feedback. You know, it was like, totally. I, I couldn't separate that, like, yeah. I was still a, a reasonably okay human being, despite this person's yeah. experience of me. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, I love that you're the validation being the bridge because all of a sudden you're in this place you've never danced in. If you validate and you've never validated before. Yeah. Interesting when you said about the couples and I just want to come back to that. The couples that haven't ever really sought, re- you know, any sort of support in their relationship. Um, and I hear a lot, this just totally brought my brain to a different place, but I hear a lot where, and I'm going to speak heteronormatively here, where a woman will say, I wanted to go to therapy, but he didn't want to go, but he doesn't want me to leave him. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, he's not exactly taking the step he, that is going to lead to her not leaving. And I see that a lot in that, in that male-female dynamic, and probably in the same-sex relationship where whoever takes the more masculine role or is more uh, emotionally avoidant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, do you have any tips on how to call that man or masculine or avoidant person forward in a way that, I mean, you can't protect them from their own shame and their own yeah. stuff, but yeah. how can, how can you just please do just, yeah. I'm a big fan of acknowledging the best in each other. And I think always leading with acknowledgement, because what where the way that usually gets presented is I'm not happy we need help or else. We may not even say the or else part, but just um, it's kind of implied or else I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to punish you. But just I'm not happy. Things aren't working. And that's not very inspiring. That doesn't really call <laughs> yeah. me to an action that I'm in. That it's I'm not getting you up in the morning, is it? No, no. But leading with acknowledgement, you know, I, I really, I really get that you know, you're a good man. You're, 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 you, I really appreciate you, you showing up, you 
putting up with me, you, whatever the acknowledgement is, but just seeing, seeing, looking for what your partner is doing that you appreciate, even if it is, they just come home to you every night. And from there, then I, I like to make the distinction between feedback and criticism. And, and by criticism, I mean giving direction. Criticism is simply giving someone else direction, especially that they're not asking for. And that can be telling them they're doing it wrong, telling them they need to do it different, telling them um, or, or implied criticism like, you know, what man wouldn't want to do, what man wouldn't want to go to therapy with me, which, which no woman has ever said ever. But <laughs> what, uh, you know, what man doesn't take out the trash? You know, what man you know, thinks that he can get away with doesn't want to have sex with me. Doesn't want. Doesn't, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a very not so subtle form of criticism that immediately is going to put him on the defensive and shame. Yeah. Shame, defensiveness. Uh, it's going to send him up into his head in an argument about how bullshit that is or how unfair that is. It's whatever feedback on the other hand is rooted in your experience not your story about your partner, but your actual experience. Uh, so for example, acknowledge, uh, acknowledgement could look like, you know, this, to put those together. Uh, look, I, I really know that you want to have a great relationship. And I think for the most part we do, or even if you don't believe that, even if that's not your experience, just say, I really appreciate you you know, going to work every day and, you know, the sacrifices that I know you're making for us to have a good life, whatever the acknowledgement is. But I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not feeling good about things. I'm feeling disconnected. I'm feeling unmet, unheard. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lonely, whatever that is. And even that is still likely to engender some resistance from a man who doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the most powerful things that Sylvie has ever said to me is my fiance, Sylvie Kukasi. And one of the most powerful things she ever said to me, and uh, it happened, I wrote something that had nothing to do with her, but it hurt her feelings. I put it out there publicly and, and um, it's early in our relationship and she told me so. And uh, I spent about 10 minutes trying to convince her why she shouldn't feel that way. And after about 10 minutes, she looked at me and just said, Brian, nothing you just said makes any difference to my feelings. <laughs> oh, I'm a good woman. Oh, shit. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> you know, and that was so important and so brilliant. And this is what, when your partner is kind of rationalizing or resisting, uh, which I, it's, you know, particularly the more kind of masculine oriented you are, it's what we're taught to do you know, live in our heads and analyze and use a certain kind of logic to create freedom. I mean, the truth will yeah. set you free. That's in logic away feelings. Absolutely. And the best thing that you can say in the face of that, and this is where a lot of, I don't know, again, we're speaking kind of a heterosexual context and, and it can work in same sex relationships. It can go the, the opposite direction, but the best thing that you can be a stand for is your experience and your feelings. Again, not your story about your partner, what you think they're up to, what you yeah, think the, they're like, doing. What you're, the story you're telling yourself about why, even though you don't have any of that evidence, exactly. all you have is facts. Your experience, I'm feeling, 
I'm feeling disconnected. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling something's missing and I don't know what it is, but, but I, I want to explore this because, because it's, it's, it's not going away and it's, and I'm hurting, you know, by staying in feedback, acknowledging your partner and giving feedback, you're inviting them to care about you rather than placing them on the defensive because you're telling a story or offering a criticism or some direction about what has to happen or needs to be done, you know, good, which again, just is going to create resistance being, being the invitation, not the demand or the obligation into caring for you really. And if your partner doesn't pick that up, why are you in that relationship? You have to ask yourself if you're, if you are offering your truth, your heart, your emotional, your, 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 and I use that word very specifically offering your being into this, the container of this relationship and your partner is just not interested in caring about it. That's not a relationship that serves you. Mm -hmm. And quite often, certainly, you know, in my work with, with couples, the vast majority of couples who come to work with me, heterosexual couples, or the, the, uh, where, where a man is in the relationship, they come to work with me because he finally understands, he really gets it, that she ain't hanging around anymore if things don't change. Yeah, which I think is an interesting, I mean, I wrote this article called um, uh, Love Her Before She Leaves You. And it's, it was only based, it was targeted towards men more because women are the ones who incite divorce the majority of the time. And That's right. That's a surprising statistic, by the way, that women are the ones who, generally speaking, uh, who statistically speaking, initiate divorce more than men. Yeah. And ironically, males experience more suffering from divorce. And I'm not putting suffering in a hierarchy. I just mean because the social support for a man is often his partner, his emotional support. For women, they often to have tend to have more um, female friends they share their successes and their losses with. So he sort of loses his emotional support when he loses the relationship and where men are more likely to get remarried. And, and, and women, they, they'll, they'll they're, have an easier time creating connection. In fact, a lot of times when they leave a relationship where there's no connection, they start to get connection where they were missing it. Totally. And I think like... For anyone listening, regardless of whether you're male or female or anything in between, it doesn't matter. If your partner has invited you to show up in a certain way and you're saying no, which is usually out of fear, I have to honor that. It's like usually out of fear of all these feelings you don't know how you're going to express. And often the feelings are so heavy that the only way we know how to consume, communicate them is anger. And the only way we know how to express them is either silence or anger. And that I think is like men tend to live in a prison of their bodies mm -hmm. in that you know, we don't have words. And it's also, I mean, for the, as long as we can remember in the most recent, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight generations, probably more, it's not celebrated to have a tear in your eye as a man. It's not celebrated to not have it figured out. Even when you have sex for the first time, you're supposed to be good at it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like I'm definitely not waving a flag that I was good. Like mm -hmm. it's my virginity shit. I didn't give that away with like, a, there was no internet to do deep research anyways. No, no. Right. I had to just figure it out by looking at the Victoria's secret catalogs, how this works. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. That taught you a lot, right? Turn the page. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
But I think it is, you know, uh, when our partners make these overt desires to want to seek third party help, that at least is saying, I want to bring someone neutral into this. That's right. I mean, ideally, and I think a lot of men and I, I get this, I hear this a lot. You know, a lot of couples come to me after they've tried therapy or because oftentimes also because of they've read something of mine that really connected with, they connected with that they didn't hear somewhere else. Um, Because a lot of men, especially kind of feel beat up in therapy when they go into therapy, it's like, it's all my fault. They kind of get beat up a little bit. I think one of the things that I'm very, very cautious of, very, very mindful of is, and that's why I said it earlier, I believe in the 100-100 model of relationship. I don't believe in the 50-50, but I'm very, very mindful. And it can be challenging to hold that for a couple so that both people come in feeling acknowledged. And that's the key. Again, I'm so big on acknowledgement and, and, you know, seeing, I believe that everyone has the best of intentions uh, in when they go into relationship. I really don't believe that anyone goes into relationship thinking I can't wait to fuck up this person's life and my own while I'm at it. I don't believe that. So, but I, I do know that there's a lot in the way that causes us to act in sabotaging ways. And, and look, I'm no different. I mean, I, you know, Sylvie and I both were, have worked with therapists, uh, our coaches. Um, we still, to this day, uh, you know, there will be moments where it hasn't happened in a while, but, but if we're hitting something particularly difficult, um, that we can't really bridge with each other, one of us will say, you know what, let's stop talking about this right now, because this is only going to get worse. We can't figure this out. Let's bring this to, you know, our therapist. Let's, let's bring this into it. Let's go do a session and, and she can help us out, figure this out, man. That is a lifesaver. Oh my God. That is a, such a lifesaver. Kylie and, and I do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Such a lifesaver. And if you don't have that person, if you don't have someone that you both trust and feel safe with to help you kind of mediate what's going on and to help you both see both in a sense, like both your roles or, or again, what's going on beneath the complaint. Cause it's always beneath the complaint. It's never, you're never fighting about the thing you think you're fighting about. <laughs> totally. Never. And it might not even be from your relationship. It might yeah. be from a previous relationship. Absolutely. Or childhood or whatever. I had that experience on, on an airplane. Uh, Sylvie and I, got, we, we both got triggered. Something just happens. Totally innocent happened, but it, triggered first her. And then I got triggered by her being triggered, which by the way is often our pattern. Um, she gets upset and that makes me upset. And I did this practice where I, you know, I'm on an airplane and I did what I call uh, kind of an anger yoga practice. And I, I had a sweatshirt, you know, and I put the sweatshirt over my body. People are still boarding. So, you know, everyone's, I'm, I'm furious, man. I'm, You're thinking, I'm they're thinking someone farted. You're just doing that. <laughs> I'm just, but underneath my sweatshirt, I am kind of acting out anger in my body. I am not, not, not with any noise. If I was alone in my car, I'd be screaming. I'd be yelling, cursing at the top of my lungs. You know, I, if I was on a hike, I'd be kicking the ground and just, yeah, just moving that energy out of me. I couldn't do that on an airplane. But what was interesting is, um, so I'm, I'm under this sweatshirt and I'm, you know, clenching my fists and I'm sort of mouthing obscenities, fuck, you know, again, silently. And I started cursing my ex-girlfriend in that moment, like all the anger. And I hadn't even seen this woman 
in, I don't know, seven years. But what had come up in that moment, essentially, Sylvie was, and she was being triggered by something that my ex-girlfriend would often be triggered by, where I felt very much victimized myself. And so I couldn't possibly soothe and comfort Sylvie with what was going on because all of my old stuff was arising in that moment. And even, you know, to hear my ex-girlfriend's name come out of my mouth in with obscenities. Again, it's just, it's just un, unhealed stuff. Yeah. But once I moved through that, maybe 60 seconds, then I was able to be more present with Sylvie and what was going on for her. And same for her. She knew, you know, just minutes later, the thing that had triggered her, she realized it was just, you know, it's like, it's like seeing a garden hose in the grass and thinking it's a snake. Mm. And our, our brains, our primitive brains, it's, it's a survival mechanism to, to see in certain shapes, if there's a threat, if there's even a potential that that shape may be a threat, we will react like a garden hose that we think is a snake. We will instinctively react. It's the same in our relationships. If your partner you know, looks at a billboard that has a woman on it, which was designed to get his attention, and, <laughs> and yet that That's triggers crap. your... That's not <laughs> you, yeah. He just looks at... I'm, obviously, I'm speaking from personal experience. Looks at a billboard... <laughs> <laughs> and and that triggers your fear that he's that you know because of what you, your ex-husband cheated on you it's not the same but your reptilian brain that survival mechanism in you doesn't know the difference it just yeah. sees threat and you react that's huge hey that's all that's ever happening really and largely and that's not that's not necessarily true because sometimes your partner it's sometimes it is a fucking snake in the grass and you need to be able to recognize that too but for the most part in a committed relationship where two people are, are genuinely not hurting each other or violating boundaries, this stuff still happens. We still do can do little things that are misinterpreted by the other that cause us to react in fear. And if we don't catch it, if one of us doesn't say, Whoa, you know, know how to soothe that trigger when it arises now we're both triggered and we're off to the races. We're off to crazy town and we don't even know what happened. And, you know, now it's 5 a.m. in the morning and we're talking about God knows what. We don't even know what the hell we're talking about anymore. We're just exhausted and pissed off and angry and disconnected. And we got to go to work in two hours and life sucks. (laughs) We don't even know what happened. Hands up for everyone who's experienced something like that, right? Yeah. And, And like, what a beautiful invitation to learn how to communicate in a way that continues to build bridges and curiosity and validation of, of both people's experiences. I do love that, like in being able to understand when we code the garden hose as the snake, right? Like I think we all need to take charge of what our templates are that yeah. come and And that's so much part of the work, man. I I'm definitely having you back on the podcast again, because we could dive freaking for hours. Yeah. You've done yeah. that just without a microphone. And I'm so grateful for you. And uh, for those of you that don't know Brian's work, uh, definitely, so where can they find you? Just so people. My website, Brian Reeves, Brian with a Y, Reeves.com. And he has such an amazing podcast called Men This Way. Yeah. And I've listened to so many of the episodes now. And Cause you just started it. What a couple months ago. I started it. Yeah. Just, um, in December. So I'm nine episodes in, uh, as of right now. 
Yeah. Oh, man, it's delicious. The guests you have on there are just incredible men. And I'm, I, I was very honored to be on it. Thank you. Yeah, man. I'm really excited uh, for your episode to come out in the next few weeks, probably. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, if you want another uh, episode to listen to and, and, you know, flip the Mark, just, we just talked about a lot about my story. Well, uh, it's kind of fun, flip the tables. And, and by the way, it's so much easier to just show up to a podcast and be interviewed than to be on the other side <laughs> than to do the, interview. God, it was so nice to just, you know, be carrying wood five minutes before this interview <laughs> and then to just come in and do this versus be on the other side. But man, it was such a rich conversation. So the podcast is called men this way. Yeah. Life insights from wise men. I love it because I think like for men, you know, like the majority of the people that consume my content are usually women. And I'm sure that was, it was that true for your writing as well. Yeah. It has been a lot. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's just so many more men finding uh, content and finding stuff that allows them to put words to feelings and, and same for women too. Uh, But I think it's really beautiful that there's this evolution of, uh, men teaching men and, and women teaching men and uh, people teaching people. And it's yeah, just beautiful. So thank you for your time and for being on this episode today. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Always, always, a, always a pleasure and an honor to speak with you, Mark. Enjoy it. Thank you, sir. 